Good morning, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Well, it's Sunday. Happy Sunday to everybody. This is a great weekend. <laughs> My name is Matthew. I serve as one of the pastors here at Desert Springs. And let me start off with a story. 2007, I got married. <clears throat> I didn't think that would warrant a clap, but thank you for that. Thank you all for that. It was beautiful. <laughs> I got married, and the goal was to get married on 777. It's July 7th. 2007, but we weren't able to get to the courthouse that day. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> so we had to get married on 6-25-2007. That was the start of two becoming one. The goal was, or the plan was, to have my wife not tell her dad that she was married because my wife didn't want to get cut off financially. <laughs> she married me when I was extremely broke. She loved me, but she wasn't so sure about the financial part. <laughs> Two became one, and by 2013, that union of one became a family of six. From 2007 to 2013, family of six. My language changed. Yep, my language definitely changed. Go to a restaurant, they ask how many, immediately. Six, looking for a house, looking for a place to stay. Could only afford an apartment at the time. <clears throat> Quickly realized trying to get six people into an apartment was a little challenging. We had to find room or make room for what we valued most. We had to make room. Looking at the Nissan Altima, which was a luxury sedan at the time, in our minds. <laughs> we had to get rid of that luxury of having a five-passenger vehicle and move to a six-passenger vehicle. If I can show you a picture of my family. God has been good to us. Six. This idea of making room for what we valued could not be lip service when you have a wife and four kids. It has to be action behind this idea of making room. When I think of making room, it immediately makes me 
think of this song called Making Room by a gospel artist named Jonathan McReynolds. I'll sing it for you. I find space for what I treasure. I make time for what I want. I choose my priorities and Jesus, you're my number one. So I will make room for you. I will prepare for two. So you don't feel that you can't live here. Please live in me. Okay, cool confession. Just confession. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Confession. When I first heard the song, or read the lyrics, it sounded all great. Making me feel warm and fuzzy inside. But if I'm honest, if I had to confess to you and you and you, if I always feel that way, the truth of the matter is I value in my heart a relationship with Jesus, but it doesn't always show up in my actions. Sometimes I don't feel like making room for Jesus. I don't feel like adjusting my life around Jesus. I feel like doing what I want to do. Because if I'm honest, my value for God sometimes doesn't always show up in my brain as much as my value for money or for a hand clap or for recognition, or for power. Sometimes life, or Matthew, will dangle a carrot in front of me and say, don't value what you know matters most. Don't make room for what you treasure most. Make room, prioritize what you and the world and this American dream is telling you to value or to prioritize. Which begs the question, is Jesus enough? I'll do it again. Some people might say the awkward pause, but I say the gift of silence. I'll give it to you right here. Is Jesus enough? Yes. Figured some of you would say that. Whether you answer that yes or no, life will really eventually answer that question for you. If you're honest, it kind of already has. If you answer no, Jesus is not enough, welcome. I'm glad you're here. If you answer yes, Jesus is enough, let me push on you. A little bit. Is Jesus enough tomorrow in a relationship that has tension? Is Jesus enough in the bank account that has drama? 
Is Jesus enough when you had this whole agenda and this whole plan to do all these things and none of the things got done and you're now stressed and overwhelmed and frustrated and mad that you didn't accomplish what you thought you should have accomplished? Is Jesus enough then? The text, Luke chapter 19, begs for you to answer this question. Actually, it starts in Luke chapter 18. The answer to the question is really simple. Not only is he more than enough, but when you try him personally and in perpetual community, he will not only satisfy every part of your life, but he will redefine life as you know it. Luke 19 says this. He entered Jericho. This is Jericho and was passing through. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Some people say Zacchaeus. Today we'll say Zac. Zach was a chief tax collector and was rich. If you have bought into this American dream idea, you're like, yeah, he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Here comes that Sunday school song. Because he was small in stature. The Sunday school song says something like, a wee little man was he. I said this earlier, I'll say it again. Don't ever call me we. (laughs) To call a man we is offensive. (laughs) Don't call me small. I'm like five, six, and some quarters. Give me my quarters. (laughs) So the wee little man ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. That's the shout right there. Quick summary of the story. We have this dude named Zach. People hated Zach. They hated Zach for pretty understandable reason. Zach was known as a tax collector. Not just any tax collector, but a chief tax collector. Zach was so messed up. A Jewish dude, dude of the people, He taxed his own people, overtaxed his own people, so that he could take the money and give it to the Roman government so that the Romans could afford to oppress his own people. They hated Zach. Zach not only stole money from them, but Zach stole the money to not only fill his own pockets, but to fund an effort 
for the people to stay down. That's why when Jesus came on the scene, they were so ready to make Jesus a king because if Jesus was feeding people and healing people, sign me up. He's a much better leader than the Roman government. Zach represented what was wrong with society. Zach was a traitor. Zach was a liar. He was a cheat. And he was a wee little man. <laughs> On paper, he had it all. He had power. People feared him. He had position. They had to come to him to give the money. He had a place to stay. I mean, 2020, 2019, this is the dream. He's got it all. But clearly, there was something that he was lacking which made this man, which was culturally crazy for him to run. People like him don't run. They certainly don't climb trees. And they're not looking for some dude from Nazareth to be in relationship with him. Jesus at this particular time wasn't like Jesus that we know today. Jesus in this time, in this perspective, in this particular community was a rabbi. Dude from Nazareth. Is anything good? Come out of Nazareth. Small town Jesus. This guy, Zach, has more prestige, more power, but he felt it necessary to climb a tree just to see. He just wanted to see Jesus. And who would have thought Jesus comes to Zach and calls him down from the tree? The wee little man gets an upgrade, but not just any upgrade. The wee little man gets called down the tree, and Jesus, like some of you guys, invites himself to Zach's house. <laughs> and says, I'm coming over. I'm coming over. Zach is pumped. He's excited. He's like, my ship has come in. Everything else I've tried doesn't work. This is who I was looking for. He came to me. And the story goes, the account is told that Jesus enters into Zach's house beyond all of the haters who are saying, look at this Jesus dude who's saying that he is all of this, but he's hanging out with sinners, traitors. Zach literally has a come to Jesus moment. But friends, this isn't just any moment. This moment turns into a real conversion. The conversation moves from a conversation to conversion, and we know that by the, by the fruit that the tree bears. We know what happened in his heart because he said, no longer do I value all of this. Now I value him. Not only am I going to... No longer am I going to make room for all of this. I'm actually going to give half of that away, and then the rest, I am going to go back and, and, and actually repay the people that I've cheated, the text says, four times over. Every single person I've cheated, 
It has nothing to do with the number. It has nothing to do with him taking half of the Wells Fargo account and saying, take it. Him taking half of the 401k and saying, take it. It has nothing to do with that. What it has to do is what he was making room for. He was making room for Jesus. The text isn't saying that you have to give half of your Wells Fargo account. It's saying that when Jesus shows up and transforms hearts, something changes. Chiefly, your value changes. What you treasure changes. There's three points that we see in this text. Number one, there's no limit to God's love. Number two, a mess in our hands is a miracle in the hands of God. Number three, only Jesus can satisfy. The life of Zach clearly screams all of these points, and we're going to hit them really quickly here. No limit to God's love. Let me tell you all something. Whenever people say, Make sure you cherish those moments when you got little kids. I'm in one of those moments now. When I get home, I am like a superstar. My kids still believe that I'm cool. I don't know how that is, man. I'm, still, I'm like, man, can you give me their perspective, Jesus? Come on. I show, I show up, man. They run, they step on my feet, they punch me in the stomach, they hug me. One jumps on my back, which I hate because my back hurts all the time, but they pull it down. I'm like, oh, and it's just, I'm, I'm awesome. And then the moment comes. They start taking out cool assignments that they've got good grades on. They leave the bad ones out. Start showing me all the A pluses, the 10 out of 10s. They start telling me what, what goal they scored today and all these great things. It's a great moment. And I got four, right? So, so they're all kind of trying to like push the other out of the way so I can see them. The shout in this text is Zacchaeus, Zach, gets to the top of the tree so that Jesus could see him. The shout here is that Jesus is so amazing that he has no limitations to who he chooses to see. He doesn't have in his heart and in his mind those people. You know what I mean, those people. The people that you and your husband or you and your wife or you and your partner or you and your friends or you and your kids or you and your teammates look and say, those people. We don't associate with those people who don't look like us, smell like us, sound like us, vote like us. Those people. We don't say this out loud. We're not like those people. You guys like what I did there? That was good, right? No, 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 no. We're not. We're more polite. We think about not being or associating with those 
people. The text is screaming. Jesus is saying, I don't care about y'all's perspective of me. I care more about reaching those people that you think are unreachable. I care about spending time and entering into community and relationship with people that you see as sinners and doomed. My question to you right now, hopefully not offending you, but who are those people in your life that you've put in such a serious category that you don't even think about them anymore? They never come across your empathetic gaze. They never show up in your mind. They never show up on your prayer list because they are those people. Jesus hits me in the face and the text just embraces you and it says that, number one, you are those people. But number two, if you ain't got time for those people, if I'm preaching to myself, the ones that have wronged me, the ones that have publicly shamed me, the ones that didn't pay me back, the ones that said something negative about my wife, said something negative about my kids, the ones who won't actually agree with me, the ones that I put on that imaginary list, those people, Jesus says, I died for them too, and I'm ready to go see them and self invite myself to their house to be with them, even though you ain't got time for them. And that's shouting good news. That's hallelujah for one reason. Sometimes I don't feel like I can be loved by God. The cool thing is his love is limitless. There's another one there. When I'm thinking that it's not possible for that particular person to be loved, if Jesus has the power to love Zacchaeus, then he has the power to love whoever, insert name, through me. He has the power to love that person through me. I know y'all didn't shout on that one. It's tough. I know. I know. <laughs> How? How does Jesus see Zacchaeus? The text Screams this in the next point. There's no limit to God's love. Not only that, but a mess in our hands is a miracle in the hands of God. Whenever my mom would come home, she would meet, this is crazy, this is crazy we were doing this. She would meet kids, me, my two older brothers, and a bunch of other kids. It's crazy. Playing outside. I know. It was a crazy time. Eighties and nineties. Crazy. Crazy what happened then. Riding bikes. We were probably dehydrated. Super hungry. Grew up in Oakland, California. So we're a bunch of kids just having a great time. When we saw the car pull up in the driveway, something happened in our stomachs. <laughs> Immediately, we knew that a mess in our hands was a miracle in mama's hands. 
We often got home before mom, and so we would go into the refrigerator, we would go into the freezer, we would go into the pantry looking for something to eat, only to find that there's nothing here. But the same refrigerator, the same pantry, and the same freezer, mama would show up in that refrigerator. She would connect all those three, probably connect heaven, and create this, this, this miracle of a meal. Because a mess in our incapable hands was a miracle in her miraculous hands. If that's true for my mom back in the 80s and 90s, What's true of your mess, your drama, your inadequacy in the hands of a miraculous God? What does it look like if we can make this amazing exchange to say to God, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to put it in your care. Somebody says, what are you talking about? Well, that's kind of what Zach did. Zach says, I got everything on paper, but in reality, I don't know what's happening here. I don't know what I'm doing. I need something bigger than myself. I'm going to put my hot mess, Zach would probably say, if I updated the language a little bit. Zach would say, I'm going to put my hot mess in the hands of a miraculous God. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't admonish Zach. He doesn't correct him according to the text. We don't see Jesus in this text actually saying anything deeply amazing. He probably did. But in reality, I would like to think that Jesus saw him. He heard him. He communed with him, hung out with him, kicked it with him, connected with him, related to him in some way. And in that moment, Zach said, I got to get more of what this dude has. I got to get even more connected. He's in my house, but I need him in my heart. 23rd Psalm. Oh, man, this is a good one. 23rd Psalm. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have no lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside calm, still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Uh-oh. For his name's sake. I like that part. I like that part when I'm preaching, but I don't always like that part when I'm living. Because I thought that he made sure I had no lack. I thought that I could put my mess in his hands for a miracle so I can get to my American dream. But ultimately, the goal is not me reaching my own personal checklist. The goal actually is him. Y'all didn't shout on that one. Let me try this side. The goal isn't what you want and what you're trying to accomplish. 23rd Psalm reminds us, and it rescreams it in Luke 19. The goal isn't our stuff. The goal is him. And because the goal is him, even in messy situations, we have hope because we aren't the end all be all. 
If my reputation and my money and my revenue and my plans and my agenda and my calendar is the goal, when things don't work out, I'm depressed. But if the goal is him, if the goal of the marriage is him, if the goal of the relationship is him, if the goal of the job, the business deal is ultimately him, I can't lose. <laughs> I, I can't lose. If I get a bad report, if I get bad news, wherever it comes from, if the goal is his glory, how can I lose? Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking, because when I first heard this thing in Sunday school, it made me irritated. I was like, God is so selfish, bro. Everything's about him, man. He just wants his name to be made great. What about me? In my little pickup football game, what about me catching the pass? What about me scoring the goal? What about me learning how to dribble? I want friends too, Jesus. You got tons of friends. <laughs> That's how I thought. I'm serious. I'm in Sunday school. I'm like, man, I'm just trying to get close to this girl. Jesus, come on, man. Dang. I need a girlfriend. Jesus, I know your name is great, but I need her to know my name. Right now, make it happen. I was looking at this idea of glory as if it were credit. But the word glory actually is more connected to worship. I know some of y'all just missed that. Let me try it again. I was thinking that Jesus wanted all the credit. I'm like, man, he wants all the credit. What about some credit for me? It was on another planet. The other planet was all glory, all honor, all praise belongs to him. All worship belongs to him because he's the only one that can hold it. If you worship me, oh, look at Pastor Matthew. Look at his four little beautiful black kids. They are beautiful and they are black. Oh, look at him. He tells great jokes. Ooh, we're so happy. We got a pastor. He tells jokes. Love it. That's great right now. But if I cheat on my wife or if I hit my kids the wrong way or if you see me doing something. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. You know I'm telling the truth. You laugh because I'm telling the truth. I can't hold the glory. I can't hold the worship. I'm not good enough. I'm going to mess up. And guess what? You are too. But all glory and all honor belongs to him because he can hold it. His attributes are perfect. He's flawless. He's never made a mistake. So when we say it's all about him and it's not about our agenda or our calendar. That's shouting good news because that weight on me, I ain't got to hold it because I can't hold it anyway. Last point. Not only do we see in the text that a mess in his hands is a miracle, but we also see finally that only God can ultimately satisfy our deepest longing. Zach's story is 
contrast it to the rich young ruler story in chapter 18. We got two rich dudes. If you look at Luke chapter 18, or if you just Google rich young ruler, it'll pop up, I promise. And you compare that rich young ruler story, which is basically this rich young ruler had done all these right things according to the religious law. He goes to Jesus and says, yo, Jesus, I'm paraphrasing, what do I got to do to get into heaven? Jesus says, obey the commandments. The rich young ruler says, did that, killing it, I'm good. (laughs) Jesus immediately goes to the heart of the issue. This guy is prideful. He's all about his works and his own ability. He immediately goes to value. He immediately goes to what this guy is making most of the room for. (laughs) And he says, give all that you have, sell all that you have. Give proceeds to the poor. Come, follow me. Rich young ruler says, whoa, ain't nobody got time for that, Jesus. Wait a minute. (laughs) Text says that he leaves sorrowful. He's sad because he realizes that he treasures more of what he has. Doesn't treasure who gave it to him. He treasures more of what he has. So Romans chapter 1 connection there. They refuse to acknowledge him as God, so they worship the creation more than the creator. Go to Luke chapter 19, and you see another rich dude, Zach. Zach's got the money. He's got the power, the prestige. He goes looking for Jesus, not for stuff, not for heaven. He just wants Jesus for Jesus. So he puts himself on the line. He climbs a tree. I'm sure he heard people whispering, saying, what is this dude doing in the tree? He's like, I don't care. I'm trying to value what matters most to me. Jesus invites him in, invites himself to his house. And then we see at the end of the text that Jesus says to everyone there, I have come to save those who are lost. Because the sick are those who need a physician, not those who are well. Zach recognized that his deepest satisfaction has to be in something that will last forever. And his name is Jesus. Some of you guys are asking, cool dude, what do I do now? I got you. Two things. Let me suggest number one, stop lying. How do I do that? Okay. What I've been doing all week. Okay. Look at all the areas of your life, where you spend your money, what your calendar looks like, who are the top repeat text messages. Look at all the things that you've been talking about, emailing about, discussing about, and ask yourself, where is my heart? Who or what truly has my heart? My mama would say, this is old school (laughs) self-examination. That's you poking at your personal relationship with Jesus, but not only are we called to a personal relationship with Jesus on an island, no, we're called to a personal relationship in the context of community. Love God, 
with all your heart, mind, and soul, personal relationship. Number two, love neighbor as yourself. We're called to a personal relationship with Jesus in context of community. This is it. If you're not connected to a group of Jesus-following folks who are broken and in desperate need of Jesus just like you are, you're missing the full picture of what God has for you. Let me encourage you, going to direct and connect and looking at how to get plugged into a community group isn't just a fun tagline. It's a desperate cry from our hearts saying, hey, we can't make it without our brother and our sister encouraging us and holding us accountable as we walk with Jesus in our personal relationship with him in the context of a greater community. If we still have those pictures of the community groups that exist here at Desert Springs, these are some groups that have been faithful for quite some time here at Desert Springs. You might see your face up there. If you do, thank you. There's also a mix of some folks that just started. We just were blessed to be able to get 10 plus groups started here at Desert Springs just in the past three weeks. Alfredo is gonna be launching a Spanish speaking group. If that don't get me excited, I don't know what does. Be able, it's able, making us able to be able to meet a need we're able to meet a need. I can't speak Spanish, but he can, and he loves Jesus in a great way. The beers have been faithful. I mean, Nick over there with his glasses looking cool. Just started a men's group. Phenomenal. I said all that to say, I can talk about each one of these, but I said all that to say, get connected to a group of people that can hold you accountable. Are they going to be perfect? No. Are you going to say, Pastor Matt, I ain't got time for these people? Yes, you probably are. <laughs> but the bigger point is this helps us to better see who Jesus is and what it means to actually love the other. Question, is Jesus enough? The answer is, heck yes. He's more. He's more than enough. Join me as I pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. That not only are you more than enough, but you satisfy every single need that we have doesn't always show up in the way that we want it doesn't always feel good it's not always going to be convenient and ultimately it's not about us but it's about your glory so i just pray lord for every single person here that you'll continue to speak to our hearts that we might see you and that you might help us to see others in jesus name we pray amen